Okay, uh, we're continuing, and I pray we're not going to be sleeping this time as well. With what we began in the morning, and we try to define what the church is, we establish the fact that the church is a call out people. And just like we said, it could be an individual or it could be a group of people. And we try to illustrate the fact that Abraham was called alone. And since the definition of the word church means a call out one, it simply means certain persons can be called out of a system, a culture, a family, because God intends to reveal some things through them to the rest of humanity or the people. Amen? And so Abraham was a kind of a type of a church. And uh, we find that from Abraham, like I said, you have Isaac. Isaac have got two children. From one of the children, we now have the twelve tribes. And the twelve tribes were called out of Egypt. And that becomes... And what I'm pursuing, the first church. Hallelujah. They were called out. Remember, the church means they call out people. So they were called out of Egypt. And so because they were called out to reveal God's purpose, which has to do with Deuteronomy chapter 4, they were the first church, as the case may be. But don't lose the point that I try to express emphatically that you are a church. Church is not a building. Church is not a denomination. Church is not a structure. The church is, I repeat, a person or group of persons that are called out of a system to reveal God's will in specific capacities. But directly connected to the redemptive work of God in creation. Because Israel was supposed to reveal the mind of God, which has to do with the, the, the laws and the statutes of God, like we read in Deuteronomy 4. Remember that? Hallelujah. So now, Abraham was an individual church, if you will, and then the children of Israel that came out of Egypt become what? A corporate church. Does it make sense? Okay. So now we want to be going on because like I said, we are looking at uh, the emerging church. And like I said, this one, we are looking at the first church as a people. Now, the first church as a people is the Passover church. So I want you again to know this because you need to understand the place of the economy of God for the moment. Amen? The first church that came out of Egypt was the multiplication of the twelve tribes of Israel after the death of Joseph. Alright? And the pastor of this church was Moses. Alright? So we look at Acts 7 again. Like I said in the morning, Acts 7.37 he says, 
This is that Moses which said unto the children of Israel, A prophet shall the Lord your God raise up unto you of your brethren like unto me, he shall ye hear. This is he, talking about Moses, that was in the church in the wilderness with the angel which spake to him in the Mount Sinai and with our fathers who received the holy oracles to give unto us. Now watch this. The Old Testament, sure enough, we can say is passing away according to the scriptures, but don't miss one point. The Bible calls it lively oracles. Do you understand? I want you to note it. That the words that God gave to the children of Israel were not just ordinary. And I'm going to make you see the difference between the first church, the second church, and then we'll move to the third church, maybe in the next section. So, watch this. The words they received, though they may be what we call letters, they were lively oracles. That means it had life in it. Did you understand that? Now, the reason why the world could not profit us is because we do not have the capacity to live out the life. That was contained in those things that was given to Moses. But they were lively oracles. Hallelujah. And like I said, the first church, the pastor of the first church in the economy of God was Moses. So Hebrews 3, for instance, look at it. Hebrews 3, 1 to 3. Hebrews 3. He said, We are for holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling. Consider the apostle and high priest of our profession, Christ Jesus. Hebrews chapter 3. I'm reading verse 2 now. Who was faithful to him that appointed him, as also Moses was faithful in all his house. Now I also want to give a definition as to what the church is. The church is the house of God. Is that alright? Verse 3 says, For this man was counted worthy of more glory than Moses. Is comparing Jesus insomuch as he who had built the house had more honor than the house. For every house is built by some man, but he that built all things is God. And Moses was verily was faithful in all his house as a servant for a testimony of those things which had been spoken after. But Christ as a son over his own house, God's house, whose house are we? If we hold fast the confession, I mean the confident rejoicing of the hopes. Fair unto the end. So understand this. Moses was a servant in God's house. And Acts 7 tells us what the house was. The house was the church in the wilderness. So again, for those of you who don't seem to know yet or understand as it were, though we're not treating that, when Jesus said, in my father's house, he was referring to the church. Do you understand that? Moses was faithful in God's house. Which house? Where was he serving? As a servant. He was serving in the wilderness. And that was the church. So here we find that the church that was in wilderness is the house of God. Or was the house of God. So Jesus when he came. Now here there is a comparison of two ministers. One is Moses. One is Jesus. The first man was faithful in God's house in the wilderness. The second man is faithful in God's house now. 
So, if Moses was faithful in the church in the wilderness, what the scripture is saying here is, Jesus is faithful in God's house now. And that house and the church is you and I. Are you following this? Okay, I just want you to, I'm just building up so that you can understand. Now, thank you Lord. This is why you can understand. In Matthew 16, when Jesus asked the question, who do men say that I am? You know all the reply that was given. Some say you are a prophet, some say you are this. Read it from 16 down to 19. Hmm? And then he asked the disciples, but who do you say that I am? And Peter said, thou art Christ, the son of the living God. Remember the story? Matthew 16. Now, if you look at 18, look at what Jesus told Peter. And I say unto thee, thou art Peter, and upon this rock, I will do what? I will build my church. So go back to Hebrews, you will understand exactly what Jesus meant. Where this, oh, help me, Lord. Listen, listen, listen. Moses was faithful in the house of God, which was the church in the wilderness. Jesus is saying, I'm also faithful in the present house, which is the church. And this church is mine because I'm the overseer. Help me, Lord. Are you getting the picture now? So, what Jesus was saying is, I started this present church. I am the builder of this present church. Which has to do with the people. Now begin to follow because as we progress you understand. I'm going to repeat this later. Which is the second church. In quote. But let me just say this. This church of Jesus came out of the church of Moses. Are you following what I'm talking about? Because you have to understand how God works. He started with one man called Abraham. Down to Isaac. Down to Jacob. And then the congregation came out of Egypt. And he gave them a pastor called Moses. Now, the order and the economy of that church was over. He raised another pastor for the next church. Actually, the second church started on the day of Pentecost. And Jesus was now saying, this is my church. Did you get it? He was not just claiming right, he was emphatically declaring his role towards the present order which we are. Hallelujah. Are we still together? Alright, so we go to Deuteronomy chapter 33. Deuteronomy 33. On this rock, I will build my church. And he said, he that build a house has more honor than the one that serves there. So he's got a house that he was building. Hallelujah. Are we there in Deuteronomy 33? Remember, we're dealing with the first church. This is a blessing where we Moses. I'm reading verse 1. Deuteronomy 33, verse 1. And this is a blessing where we Moses, the man of God, blessed children of Israel before his death. And he said, The Lord came from Sinai and rose up from Seir unto them. He shined forth from the Mount Param, and he came with ten thousands of saints from his right hand, went for a fairy law for them. Yes, he loved the people, and all the saints are in thy hand. And they sat down at thy feet. And everyone shall receive of their words. Moses commanded us a law. Even the inheritance of the congregation of Jacob. Congregation. Church. Call out one. And it was King Jeshurun. When the heads of the people and the tribes of Israel were gathered together. Is that alright? Okay. Now you go back again to Exodus 19. 
Deliver the first church. She laying foundations. Exodus in verse 1. And in the third month, when the children of Israel were gone forth out of the land of Egypt, the same day came they into the wilderness of Sinai. For they were departed from Rapidim and were come to the desert of Sinai and pitched in the wilderness. And there Israel came before the mountain. And Moses went up unto, unto God, and the Lord God called him out of the mountain, saying, Thou shalt thus say to the house of Jacob and tell the children of Israel. Remember, these are the people coming out of Israel now. I mean, out of Egypt. Ye have seen what I did unto the Egyptians, and how I bear you on eagles' wings and brought you unto myself. Please understand this. Is that okay? God is speaking to Moses and said, I brought you out of Egypt and I brought you to myself. Jesus said the same thing, if you may understand it, in John 14. When he said, my father has many mansions, if you will not have told you, I'll go and prepare a place for you. And when I come, I'll receive you unto myself. Jesus doesn't take people to a location. He takes them to himself. Is that alright? Now, I want you to understand it because there's a principle I've always laid in our local assembly. There has to be a double witness to every doctrine you preach. When God took the children of Israel to himself, he took them to a heavenly state, but was not a geographical location. Did you get that? But he brought them out of Egypt to himself, to become, in, in, in the real sense, to become a husband unto them. The principle of you being taken to somebody's self is the person marrying you. Hallelujah. And that is why you find that when marriage is being conducted, the wife is presented to the side of the man. So what God is actually telling Israel here is, I married you when you came out of Egypt. Because if you read down, they came into the principle of the law. It was in Mount Sinai he gave them the laws. The laws were supposed to be a contract between God and Israel as that of a husband and a wife in a marriage relationship. That is why marriage, like I often say, is a covenant. Now the difference, as I'm going to understand much later, is this covenant was supposed to be entered into between two parties, which is the husband and the wife. And so, if you read Exodus 19 and 20, you find that after Moses began to give the laws of Mount Sinai, the people say, everything the Lord has said, we will do. And that is what you say when you get married. They read, say, yes, I do. What you are saying is, I agree to be part of this covenant. But the problem with this covenant is, Israel could not keep their own part of the covenant. Why? They were natural and God was spiritual. Do you understand this? And so when we move down, you are going to understand that the reason why God did not allow you to participate in this new covenant because you know you will also fail. So he entered into it himself on your behalf. And scripture says God swore. Do you remember that? By himself. He doesn't need to bring you in because you also fail. Are you still there? Another reason why the Old Testament could not stand was because the laws were external, they were not eternal. 
He gave them the laws on a tablet of stone. So anytime you don't want to commit a crime, you have to have a reference point. But the new order, which is the new church that ultimately we're supposed to enter into, is a realm where you don't have the law external, but the laws are written in your heart. Therefore, you always go with the laws. There is no reference point in any book. <laughs> that is a difficult place to be, maybe. And let me, you see, this is it. How far this question? Which book did the apostles read before they were called Christians? So if all you know as a reference point to prove your Christianity is one book which could be black, red, or green in cover, you are still in the first church. The mind of the first church is to the point where that book becomes you. <laughs> you see, the apostles followed Jesus and the people came and said, these are Christians. They have no book that they were reading other than singing Psalms on Sunday. You understand that? But it was not the sound they were singing on Sunday in the synagogue that made the people outside to call them Christians. Hallelujah. Now let's get down to Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 8. The first church. The church in the wilderness. But he emerged from a realm which is the realm of obscurity. And that was part of the foundation of the church that we are today. Hallelujah. And so they were brought to the wilderness. They had a relationship with God as both not only their father but also a husband. Hallelujah. Are you still there? Because you see, you're going to see something. As we move on to the third church, you're going to find where the scripture says in Isaiah 62 verse number 5, and it says, Your son shall marry thee. And God was talking about Zion. Sons thus marry their mothers that will become incest. Why would the sons of Zion marry Zion? The word sons there, in the true sense, when we get there, you understand. It means Ben. Ben has to do with the builders of the family. And Jesus, who is supposedly supposed to be a son of Mary, becomes the Lord of Mary. Your son shall marry thee. That is the third church. That is the imagined church. The people that shall finally come out of this present order to build the church. <laughs> Help me, Lord. Let's go on. Hebrews 8. Are we there? I read from verse 8. For finding fault with them, he said, Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, when I make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day when I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt. Because they continued not in my covenant, and I regarded them not, the Lord. Because they continued not. They couldn't have continued because the Lord were external. Are you there? For this is the covenant that we make with the house of Israel after those days, the Lord. That's number 10. I will put my laws into their heart and write them in their heart, and I will be to them a God, and they shall be to me what? Our people. Amen? And they shall not teach every man his neighbor. And every man his brother saying, know the Lord. For all shall know me from the least what? To the greatest. For I will be merciful to their unrighteousness and their sin, their iniquities will I remember no more. Hallelujah. Are we still there? In that he said a new covenant he had made the first old. Now that we decay and wax old, it's ready to do what? To vanish away. 
Amen? Are we there? Okay, so you understand the principle here. The first church is the church that came out of the wilderness. Now, can I say this? The basis of my Sinai experience was actually for the laws of God to be written in the heart of the people. So, in the true sense, Pentecost is our experience of my Sinai. What Pentecost is supposed to do for us, which is supposed to be the second church, is not actually the power show. What Pentecost is meant to do is to bring God's laws into our hearts. That is ultimately the very first mind of God for the experience of Pentecost. We have taken the power, but we left the substance. Amen? So, that's the first church. What is the first church? A people being delivered or removed or called out of Egypt unto God to have a relationship with him that through them he might reveal his mind to the rest of creation. Are we all together? Alright, I go to the second church. Because I know I have one more section. So, let me... Put first and second church together, then I'll do the third church in the last section. Amen? Okay, now go down to John 1, verse 16. John 1, 16. Are you there? Now, the second church is the Pentecostal church. Hallelujah. The first church is the church in the wilderness and is the Passover church. Being called out of Egypt. Or being called out of the world. But the second church is the Pentecostal church. That is also called out of the church that was called out of Egypt. Are you still there with me? Okay. John 1.16 the Bible says. And of his fullness have we received and grace for grace. Look at verse 17. For the law was given by Moses. But grace and truth came by who? Jesus Christ. He said, no man has seen God at any time, the only begotten son, which is the bosom of the father, he has declared him. What that means is, nobody has been able to experience God in a tangible form. In other words, the invisible God was imaged before mankind in a man called Jesus. And in this new order, it is not the external law that works. That is what Moses came with. The laws were not bad because if you look at Matthew chapter 5 down to 6, all the laws were repeated except that of the Sabbath and one of the law. Hallelujah. They were all repeated. But you see, it will say, You have read or you were told, Thou shalt not. But I say, Come on, hear me. You, you remember that? You have been told, Thou shalt not kill. But I say, now, he was defining his own rules in his own church. Because he said, upon this revelation, I will do what? Build my church. So here is a second church with new laws, new principles. But this church emerged from the very first church that came out of Egypt. And the root of the first church that came out of Egypt is Abraham. So the head of the church, if you wouldn't mind me tonight, is Abraham. No, it's not the head, it's the root. Hallelujah. Are you still there? 
He is the root of the present church and the root of even the church that is here to be. Okay now, let's move on. Grace and truth came by Jesus. So now, you see what we read before in Matthew 16, and verse number 8. He said, upon this church, I mean upon this revelation, or upon this rock, I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. The gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I don't want to stress this. Uh, but understand, if you be the church, and you are truly being built by Christ, who is supposed to be the builder of this house, there is no gate of hell that can prevail against you. You have to believe these things. Huh? He said, I will build my church. Moses had his church. He's talking about his church. And he said he will build his church. And he's boasting, if you will. The gates of hell will not prevail against the church that I am building. Now, if you collectively or individually is a church, you must agree with the one that is building the church. So I don't see any devil trying to put me down. I don't see any wish so strong trying to stop what God has given to me to do. I don't think so. Amen? I'm not even thinking about it. I don't believe it. And there's a big difference between thinking and believing something. I don't believe that is a way so strong that can stop what God has created me to do from being fulfilled. I don't believe it. Hallelujah. Anyway, we know in our local assembly, we know what belief means. Because students don't believe all things are possible. And it all depends on what you want to believe. Because it's still going to be possible. So you believe the witches can kill you, it's still going to be possible. He didn't tell you what to believe. To them that believe all things, poverty, death, sickness, parental causes, uh, what do you ancestral spirits, they are possible. It's because you believe. But if I believe on the other one, they can't affect me. Those they exist. Therefore, they cannot do what? Affect me. The Bible simply tells us it's not by the rules we keep. He came by grace. And all thy iniquities are forgotten. I will not be remembered. I don't have to remember my iniquities or iniquities of my father. If God will not remember them, why should I remember them? That's foolish religious tradition to impose some causes on you so that they can have room for deliverance. I've always asked this question. Show me where Abraham went for deliverance. When he was serving gods every month. As far as I'm concerned, the Abrahamic method of worship of idols or more than that of beneath people. Hallelujah. You understand? A man who is seriously concerned with one God every month, one God every month. You know what that means? Very faithful. But the day God said, come, the word, he said, the word that I have spoken to you, you are clean within and without. Come on here, somebody. When God calls you out, he takes care of your past. Don't remind me of my past, people. Don't remind me of my past. My mentality can't hold that anymore. <laughs> Hallelujah. I will be my church. And the gate of hell cannot prevail. Somebody said, do you believe in devil? Sure. 
Do you believe in causing sure? So what about that? I don't truly believe I know. Huh? Abraham believed God. It was counted to him for righteousness. The day Abraham said, yes Lord, I will follow you. Say you are a righteous man. He didn't say go and do any other ceremony. Because the word of God. <laughs> he said, Shabbat into a just Remember that? He said, keep down to the dividing of spirit and soul and go deep down to your marrow. I haven't told them in my fellowship. What does the word go to do in your marrow? The marrow is the place where the blood is formed. So when the word goes into your marrow, it changes your blood from a central blood to God's blood. <laughs> so my genealogy is not counted from my village anymore. That is why their spirit can't follow me. I don't have the same blood with them, brother. I got a new blood. <laughs> Through the word. Hallelujah! <laughs> Goodness and mercy. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> okay now, so let's move on and see the second church emerging from the other church. Is that alright? Okay, now so go to Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1. I build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. You have to understand, we are in the church where Jesus Christ is ruling and reigning right now. Hallelujah. And he took his offshoot from the church that came out of the wilderness, which is the Passover church. Presently in the economy of God, we are in the Pentecostal age of the church. And can I say something, people of God? God is not intending to save the whole world with this church. <laughs> Amen. Are you still there? Because the present church is not qualified to save the world. You must understand that the feast of Pentecost living was added. And God is not going to use a living system to save the world. Because he can only give what you have. So if the whole world is saved through this present church, the people that are going to be saved into God's economy as at that time will be completely living. God is still in preparation. Hallelujah. Acts chapter 1. Are we there? You see, the final church that we're going to emerge is the one you find in Isaiah chapter 2. When he say, The mountains of the Lord shall be established upon the mountains. And the people will say, Let us go to the mountain of the Lord. Did you get what I'm talking about? It is not going to be through this thing we call evangelism. Now, I'm not against evangelism. That is not going to be the method of the third church, which is emerging. But people will see the light, and men will come looking for you. Even devils will recognize. They will even believe you. But the pain is they are going to tremble. Because the difference between you and the devil is you believe and you have faith. But the devil also has faith and believe, but he tremble. So if you are still a believer and tremble before God, you are not better than the devil. Because both of you are believers. James 2.19. Huh? You can read that. Ark 1. Are we there? Verse 12. Then returned they unto Jerusalem from the mount called Lilibet, which is from Jerusalem. It's about this journey. That's about Jesus have risen. Eh? And when they were coming, they went up into an upper room where about, about both Peter and James and John and Andrew and Philip and Thomas and Bartholomew and Matthew, James, the son of Alphaeus and Simon, Zealot, and Judah, the brother of James. These all continued one accord in prayer and supplication with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brethren. And in those days, Peter stood up in the midst of the disciples and said, The number 
of the names together were about a hundred and twenty. Now listen closely. Okay. Okay, let me just say this. Listen to that. So about this journey, they came together. <clears throat> now they were waiting for the outpouring of the Holy Spirit according to the instruction of Jesus. Is that okay? Are you there with me? Alright. Here the Bible told us there were 120. The new church that emerged from the old is the 120. That is the core seed of the new church, which is the Pentecostal church that came out of the church that emerged from the wilderness. 120 persons. You know what? When these people were waiting in the upper room, there was a physical celebration of Pentecost going down the valley. That was when Jerusalem was agog because of the Feast of Pentecost. Even the eunuch from Ethiopia was there. Are you there with me? But this 120 got the baptism of the Holy Spirit in the upper room. And when they came down, they were new people, though they were brothers to those celebrating the same feast. So look at Acts chapter 2. And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place, and suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of rushing mighty wind, and they filled all the house where they were sitting, and there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as a fire, and he sat upon each of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost, and began to speak with other tongues, as the Spirit does what? Gave them utterance. Hallelujah. Now listen closely. They came down and began to speak in another language. For those of you who may not have been able to hear this, but let me explain something to you. Now, when they were speaking in this tongue, this is not the church tongue that we speak. This is not the church for self-edification. This is not praying in the Holy Ghost. Please understand. This is not groaning with words that cannot be uttered. All these are shades and dimensions of tongue speaking. Is that alright? All we think we know about tongue speaking is what we speak in church. No, no, no. There are at least four different levels of speaking in tongues in the Bible. Accidentally, even the one we do in church is not supposed to be a congregational tongue. Because congregational tongue is meant to be interpreted for the edification of the, those who are listening to you. But what we do is self-edification which we are supposed to do on a personal level. Which we can interpret and our neighbors can interpret and they can say amen to it. Because it's personal between us and God. Is that alright? But this tongue here is a evangelical tongue. When they spoke, everybody who came from various tribes and nations heard what they were saying. Why? God was broadcasting a new order and he wants everybody to hear it. So when they spoke, everybody who came to the feast, they begin to hear what they were saying. And why was it so? Because God was going to rebuild through this church what he destroyed in Genesis 11. The people were building the tower to God. To reach up to heaven. Remember that? And the Lord said as long as they are in one mind. And in one tongue. There will be nothing impossible for them to achieve. Let us go down and confound their language. Now the language has confounded in Genesis 11. 
that in Acts chapter 2, God restored it because he wants humanity to be one because one blood and one family. Are you following this? Alright. Now, so, the 120 became the first crop of people that were harvested from the wilderness church, which is the Passover church into the Pentecostal church. Are you listening to me? I share a message sometime. I'm sure he's still in the system. Remnant doesn't mean a leftover people. Though we have preached it and taught it that way. But remnant means the first set of people to taste of that which is to come. 120 out of a whole populace of the Jewish people tasted something that had never been at all experienced by the whole people. They are kind of a leftover or a remnant in relation to the entire congregation. And there is never a time God wants to do something new that some people will not say demonstrate it. Hallelujah. So even the third church, which is the church that is going to emerge at the end of the day, some people are going to demonstrate what that church is for others to take example. And that is why the Bible said they will come to you and say, show us your God. Because when this one happened in Acts chapter 2, remember what happened? The Bible said they came and they said they took knowledge that they had been with Jesus. Fine. That is the evidence. That they are not a new set of people. Amongst their own brethren, they are a different community. So they were called out people. So they were the first that started a church which is called the second church. Which is the Pentecostal church. Hallelujah. Are we still together? Okay. Now, let me show you something. The church, we did the second church. R chapter 15. R 15. And verse number 5. R 15, sorry, I'm going to read from verse 6. Now, this is the issue of the Gentiles that became converted. Remember that. And the apostles and elders came together. Verse 6. For to consider of this matter, when they had been much disputing, Peter rose up and said unto them, Men and brethren, you know how that a good, a good while ago God made choice among us, that the Gentiles by my mouth should hear the word of the gospel and believe. And God, which knew the hearts, bear them witness, giving them the Holy Ghost, even as it did unto us. And put no difference between us and them, purifying their hearts by faith. I like that. Now therefore, why tempt ye God to put a yoke upon the neck of the disciples, which neither our fathers nor we were able to bear? But we believe that through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, we shall be saved, even as they. Amen. Then all the multitude kept silent and gave audience to Barnabas and Paul, declaring what miracles and wonders God had wrought among the Gentiles by them. And after that they had heard their peace, James answered and said, Men and brethren, hearken unto me. Simon had declared how God at the first did visit the Gentiles to take out of them a people of his name, or for his name. After this, I will return, and I will build again the tabernacle of David, which is falling down. And I will build again the ruins thereof. And I will set it up, that the residue of men might seek after the Lord, and all the Gentiles upon whom my name is called, say the Lord, who dwell all these things, known unto God, are all his words from the beginning of the world. Now listen to me. I believe in the understanding of the tabernacle of David. As it is commonly preached. To an extent we also believe that it has to do with the 
activating of the praise system in the worship system or the worship of God. But just a minute. One thing very unique about the tabernacle of David, just like you said, is an open season. Everybody goes through. But basically it is this. David structured this, put the ark there, and there was no priest. He was the one ministering before the ark. He was a king. Kings had no right to minister before the ark. David had right to do it. What does that mean to us? David manifested the priesthood of Melchizedek, who is both a king and a priest. And what does that mean? The Bible tells us in Revelation chapter 5, number 10, and it says, The Lord has bought us of the entire who is blood and has made us priests and kings. What is that supposed to say? Every one of you have access to God. That is the true meaning of the tabernacle of David. And so any system that puts you in the Lincolnian principle of hierarchy and laity have not yet ourselves the prophecy that represents the tabernacle of David that God is raising up. Because in the beginning, Adam had access to God. Abraham worshipped God. Are you sitting there with me? All of his own, there was no one with him. And God intends you to worship God without an assistance, if you will. The purpose of coming to church is to build you so that you can become an individual church that can function and minister before your God, even in the secret place of the Most High. Hallelujah. Are you there with me? So the Gentiles have access, we come in, and we don't, in the truth says, we are not supposed to be looking for a priest to take us to God. We can assess God. That is what the tabernacle of David really means. And so what he was trying to say, you can't stop the Gentiles. Because if you put them in the way of the law, that means they have to have a high priest before the law. But God has given them the Holy Ghost. And now they have access to God. So don't put another yoke upon the people. And I declare to you today, because you are also in the second church, you have your freedom. You can assess God. The throne is acceptable. Not in heaven right here. You can assess the throne of God. He said, let us come with boldness. Did you hear that from the word? Into the throne of grace to find mercy in times of need. He didn't ask you to look for somebody to help you do that. God bless you.